So the big question is this, how do veterinarians like you, who live demanding lives, who never seem to have enough time, able to achieve balance and take control of your finances with confidence? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. We are Florida Veterinary Advisors, and this is the Smarter Vet Podcast. Hey, Smarter Vets. Welcome back to another episode of Smarter Vet Podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Tom Seco, a financial advisor and co-owner of Florida Veterinary Advisors, a advisory firm based out of Tampa, Florida. I wanted to give a quick plug before we jump into our episode. If you've not heard of it yet, make sure to check out our five foundational steps to financial balance. It is a five-part video series that we put together for you to help give you more structure in how you're approaching your finances and the steps that you're taking. And did I mention it's complimentary? It doesn't cost you anything to be able to watch the videos. So go check it out if you haven't. If, if you're looking for a second set of eyes on the things you're doing, make sure to go watch them. Today on the show, I've got a, let's say a veterinarian industry uh, veteran. I would have to say she's been around for a very long time um, in decades, has lots of experience in working within the veterinary community, which is awesome because there's a, a different element of things that she's able to bring to the table and a lot of different experience that many times could be overlooked. And I want to introduce, I've got Debbie Boone here with me today. She's a veterinary practice management consultant. And at the same time, she's a CVPM. So I think she was wanting to become a veterinarian at some point, And she you know, decided that she wanted to help veterinary practices instead. So I'd like to bring you onto the show, Debbie. Thanks for coming here for me. Hey, thanks, Tom. I appreciate the, uh, the invitation to come on and I also appreciate the work that you guys are doing because I do get your newsletter and every time it comes out, I learn something. So, you know, thanks. Thanks for the being generous with your information. Absolutely. Well, I mean, we're all about, you know, educating the veterinary community and, you know, our vision is to help at least 10% of the community become financially independent. So any way that we can do it, if we can't talk to everyone, hopefully some of the stuff we put out there helps. So, you know, with all of this being said, I'd love for anyone who is not familiar with you, Debbie, if you could just give a little bit of background on yourself and, you know, a little bit about your company and everything, because I'd love for people to know a little bit more about you. Sure, sure. Well, I uh, was one of those kids, like you said, who wanted to be a veterinarian, but I grew up in the family business. So unlike most kids, I was learning business and running P&Ls at the age of 15. And I just learned how to how businesses were supposed to run. And then when I went to school, I was going to be a veterinarian. I have a degree in animal science. And after four years, I decided I didn't want to go to eight more years of school. <laughs> but I still loved the medicine and the science of it. And of course, the animals goes without saying. So when I um, got out of school, I started running one of our restaurants, never my goal in life. And then I moved to Greensboro, North Carolina, applied at every veterinary hospital there got a part-time job as a receptionist, and then just moved up to hospital administration. And for 23 years, I managed practices. So every kind of practice from AHA accredited general practices to uh, practices that were 24-7, managed uh, the shelter for the county, managed uh, emergency and mixed animal practices. fairly broad spectrum of experience just in the trenches, hands-on stuff. So in 2008, when the recession hit, um, I had been doing a little kind of side consulting. People were asking me to do work 
And I just started my own consulting business and it's been going great ever since. I, I appreciate the people who've asked me to come into their practices and the sales reps who've brought me in and all the people who've allowed me to present my ideas in front of them for many, many years. Here we are today. That's really awesome being able to make that step into something that maybe you didn't really think it was going to be much of anything. And all of a sudden it's like, it's turned into something larger than you thought, which it definitely, if you had asked me, I, I remember in 2000 going to see Karen Gavsner speak at VMX and just, you know, you just have these weird little thoughts in your head going, oh, you know, I think that might be fun one day to right. stand up there in front of that crowd and speak like that, which most people would never want to do. Right. Because it's, it's almost, uh, they'd rather face death than um, a crowd and speaker crowd. And, and I just, somehow or another, it just kind of morphed into the fact that, yeah, there I was speaking and I've spoken to thousands and thousands of people, taught all the Patterson University classes for communication and client service for many, many years. Uh, I tried to figure out how many students I taught just in those classes, and I think it's close to 10,000. So, yeah, I got kind of used to speaking. <laughs> That's cool. That's yeah. really cool. Yeah, I love the aspect of speaking too and being able to be in front of people because it's nice when you can impact a larger group of people too, because if you're only talking to one, but you can talk to a larger audience. I mean, that, that means something. So, it well, it's, it's obvious, I would say, since you've been doing this for a long time, being a practice management consultant, and there has to be some type of a, a need or something that you're being able to really help these practices with, which keeps driving the momentum of people wanting to work with you. And from, I would say, even like over time, I don't know if it's changed or not, but what would you say from even like, if it's different today compared to what it was, let's say 10 years ago, what are some of the, like a couple of challenges or struggles that you see practices that are running into when you first meet them? Yeah. Well, you know, it's really interesting. You think there's a, there's a huge generational difference. Most of our veterinarians now are millennials. And a lot of the boomers are retiring, as you know, as a financial advisor, because you're helping them make those, those exit strategies. But people are people. And I've always focused my consultancy on getting the team right with the firm belief that once you get the people focused, that the money shows up. Okay. And in my experience, that's true. Now, that's not to say you're not watching metrics because you are, but some people don't even know what to watch. So there's that. But so many times there's leadership dysfunction because people were not trained to be leaders. They were sometimes by default put into positions. The veterinarians hmm. went to school, said, hmm, I think I'll buy a practice, but never learned how to be a leader of people. They were very good clinicians. They're very just brilliant people. Some of the smartest people on earth are probably veterinarians. But then there's the great technician or the great receptionist who gets moved into the management position with no training whatsoever and high expectations. Yeah. And they just struggle. And sometimes they do well. And sometimes they just, you know, flounder. And a lot of that floundering, again, translates down to the team becoming dysfunctional and a lot of turnover. Right now, one of our biggest challenges is lack of staff. I can truthfully say that almost every hospital that I work with and almost everyone that I speak with has a, an opening somewhere, whether it's veterinary or a technician or assistant, even the front desk. Yeah. 
Okay. So it was a difficulty in hiring people and an incredibly high demand for our services because 11 million animals were adopted over the past year. In 11 million, huh? Oh, yeah. 11 million animals. Oh, we actually emptied out some of the shelters. So because of that high demand and shorthanded, everybody's just running on fumes. There's mm -hmm. just an exhausted group of people. So one of the things that I'm really working with those teams now is teaching them how to organize themselves better, to use technology to leverage the team that they have so that they're not burning themselves out, to set appropriate boundaries, and how to gracefully say no to clients because we have to. We do not have the bandwidth to manage the caseload that is possible. And we could possibly you know, be seeing animals 24 hours a day in general practice. But we've got to learn how to say no because we, if we're so exhausted, then we're serving no one well, and that includes ourselves. Absolutely, I, I, I would see over the last you know year or so too because of the massive, let's say, adoption and people taking pets. I'm sure because they they want a little bit of camaraderie at home and they need. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I know my little guy has been loving it since I've been working from home for the last year and a half. He's just, he can't leave me alone half the time. He's actually laying in his bed right now. As I'm talking, he's sleeping. And I, I could just see that, that because of the amount of people that are now having animals, I, I would see why there are a lot of spot openings because now it's like we have more load than we did before. Mm -hmm. And what do you see that the shortfall is of like, what is, what is a challenge that like, why they can't find new people? Is it just because there's not enough people to pull from, or is it just not enough qualified people or it's it's a combination of all these things. We really don't have enough veterinarians graduating to manage the the demand for what we have. So we we have some new vet schools opening. We'll have some new people out, but it takes four years to grow a veterinarian. Yeah. So we are you know working on those things. But there for a while in two thousand and eight, and we mentioned this a little bit before we got on a recording. It, 2008 was a time where veterinarians could not find a job because no one was hiring because of the recession and the caseload greatly reduced. So the AVMA kind of said, mm, you know, we really don't need any more vet schools. We don't need any more veterinarians. Right. But what we're seeing now is a millennial generation and the generation younger than them mm -hmm. who are so invested in their animals that they have become surrogate children. And so the demand is higher. People want more care. And that's the other thing that happened during the pandemic because our clients were not spending money on gas or going out to lunch or buying clothes to wear to work to the office. They had disposable income because they were still working and they were working from home. So when they came into the animal hospital and we recommended a dental cleaning, Typically, what we would have had is a little pushback, some people delaying, some people say, well, I can't do it this month, I'll do it next month. Now everybody's going, sure, let's do it. Right. <laughs> and, and, and so that on wow. top of a, you know, a high demand caseload where everybody just says yes to everything now is causing a great deal of dilemma. So why don't we have enough staff? Well, first of all, it's a very difficult profession. It's physically demanding mm -hmm. and throw a pandemic on top of it. And the people who were on the edge of going, I can't do it much longer anyway, sort of said, I'm opting out. I don't have to do it anymore. I'll, I'll go, I'll go sell insurance. I'll go do something not physical. Um, the other thing is people were sick. 
um, they were immune compromised. And so they couldn't work because of exposure or possible exposure. And there were still a lot of people who are still, even though they're vaccinated, uh, afraid to come out. So that, you know, overcoming their personal fear. And I certainly understand it. Um, I'm, you know, I'm cautious, but not that, you know, but I'm also wash my hands, stay away from people and don't touch my face. And so I'm very disciplined about that. I always laugh and said, I grew up in the restaurant business in an animal hospital. There's a couple of things you don't do in either one of those. <laughs> Put your hands on your face because yeah. you handle some disgusting things most of the day. And so you learn not to do that. So there's a self-discipline there. Good. But, uh, you know, so there's that. And then at first during the pandemic, many Hospitals shut down for a little bit because they were, and then they got to be essential. And then it was essential, but only for urgent care cases. So all the routine stuff got pushed back. Well, now that pushback has snow plowed into all these animals need everything. It was really kind of a catch 22 that happened. Sounds uh, like it. There at the beginning. So I think the clients, you know, they've, have kind of wised up a little bit. We've tried to, I personally have tried to send some information out and created some forms and some letters to inform clients about it because it's really funny. We've known the overload of veterinary hospitals since three months into this pandemic, but it's just now that I'm seeing articles at, at CNBC and the AP picking up that veterinarians are overwhelmed and understaffed. And this is why your pet can't get in for two weeks. So people don't know what we're living through until we inform them. So my goal is, you know, I always in coaching communication is never blindside your clients, always over inform them because don't assume that they know what you know. Um, And so even during the pandemic, there was don't assume that they understand your parking lot protocols. Don't assume that they understand how overworked and backed up you are because they only think about you once a year when it's time to take the dog to the vet. And it's important that we are proactive in sending information out to clients always, but particularly during this past year. I agree. Well, communication, like with anything, like it should be like the top, I think of every business model and everything. But sometimes, of course, we can get very caught in the the weeds and yes. not put enough attention to it. So I think that's a very, very impactful way to be able to just improve and enhance the overall, I would just say business as a whole. Like we even encourage that on our side with having five of us on our team. There's a, we have to sometimes over communicate to make sure we're, we're all on the same page. Otherwise can't assume things. No, uh, no, you can't. And you know, it's funny. We'll talk about Clients will sit in the exam room and we'll educate them about how to medicate their pet or what's wrong with it. And they'll sit there and nod and nod and nod yeah. <laughs> and leave and call back and ask the receptionist to explain everything that the doctor or the technician said. And it really doesn't mean that they're not paying attention. It means that it's just a brain thing. And so one of the things I bring to the table in most of my talks is neuroscience because it's my, I laughingly call it my geek out topic, but understanding yeah. How the human brain works is incredibly important in in understanding how to educate people and how to make sure that they're compliant and that they understand what you're talking about. So understanding that people under stress situations when their animal is sick or or maybe it's just misbehaving, it's trying to bite the vet, (laughs) people are embarrassed that their dog tried to bite the vet or the cat freaked out. 
Yeah. Um, their brain is on overload and it's very difficult to learn when you're distracted or you're stressed. And of course, everybody's stressed right now. This is why it's so important for us to give written instructions for uh, post-operative care or any kind of care at home. And how do you give your med- your pet's medication? I even, because uh, I do like tech, I do recommend that we even video ourselves explaining how to give medications to animals and then send the link home to the clients because that way we're in their pocket. And it seems to take a little bit longer in the minute, but mm-hmm. the truth of the matter is it saves four phone calls later on in the day and the animal not getting appropriately treated because the client didn't really understand it. It doesn't want to, doesn't want to bother you or doesn't want to feel foolish or, or ignorant. Yeah. When they have to call back. So, you know, just that proactivity keeps going and just, you know, just going, going, going. And um, awesome. I got tickled because people would come into the parking lots and they wouldn't bring their cell phone or they wouldn't have their credit card. I mean, they park in the parking lot and you have no way to communicate with them because they don't bring a phone with them. And it's funny because as um, somebody who lives with a phone in hand to think that people go through lives without that. But then I look at people like, you know, my mother or some other people that that I know, they don't keep their phone in their hand all the time. They you know, my mother got one phone call last month on her cell phone. She doesn't like it. She doesn't use it. <laughs> <laughs> To think that she has to bring that to the parking lot, it wouldn't occur to her to do that as a communication way. So, yeah, we just really need to make sure that we don't make any assumptions about what people know or understand and make sure we give them instruction in writing or something solid that they can review when they leave our building. That's really good. Well, so like, let's say that, you know, people who are listening and practice owner uh, or someone who wants to be in practice what what does the typical process look like to try to engage and, and to work with someone like you? Oh, well, usually what happens is most of my business comes from referrals and somebody will just reach out to me through email. My website has a job form on it that you can reach out. And then we make an arranged time to, to have a call and I have one hour free exploratory call. And it's in that call that we find out, you know, what your pain points are. And if I have solutions, you know, I'm happy to to help you with those. If it's not something that's my strong suit, I have a vast network of people that I trust and know, uh, like Tom, who I will refer to and say, this is who you need for this problem. You know, I can help you with part of it, maybe, but I can't help you with all of that. But, you know, for the most part, after that exploration call, I send uh, an example of my contract and let people look at it. And one of the things that I do is I will always give people an out and I don't want anybody being you know trapped into a year long contract with me feeling like they're just not getting their money's worth. So I go into it with a very simple premise that says, don't hire me if you're not going to listen. I don't like to fail and your failure is my failure, mm. but you always have an out, you know, if you get to a point where you're like, we can't even, you know, you've given us all these ideas and we can't implement them as fast as we need to do that. So we need a catch up time. Then we'll mm-hmm. call you back. That's okay too. You know, we just pause it and wait. And then some people I stay on retainer with for years because they just like that safety net of always being able to pick up the phone and having somebody to be able to work through some kind of 
dilemma that is happening or just, you know, an advisor that can say, hey, this is who I know. This is what the questions you need to ask. This is what you need to look for. And, and really, as a generalist, I look at everything from what the parking lot looks like, the design of the building, if I can make it more efficient for traffic flow, the work systems in place in the hospital, look at their website, social media presence, how they're communicating with their clients, listen in on the phone calls and coach the front office team. Um, so it's, it's a little bit of everything through the hospital. And I really try to work with the managers a lot and teach them how to be good managers. As I said, so many of them never got any formal training right. and they look for things that they may be doing that are illegal and they don't even know that they're doing that. So I try to make sure I keep them out of trouble too. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, like, let's say that, you know, someone who is listening right now, I think that's great to be able to have the exploratory call, like definitely very helpful to be able to just talk through some things. And let's say if someone's not actually ready to the point of like, Hey, I want to try to engage in this. Like, mm -hmm. what would you say is just something really simple or maybe it's, Maybe it isn't simple. I don't know. Maybe there's something that you think that someone could go do on their own right now to just try to improve how they're running their business. You know, you're going to be surprised when I tell you this, but the most yeah. helpful thing that I think any business owner could do is to go and read the book, Crucial Conversations. Ooh, that's a good one. Because otherwise you really don't know how to give feedback appropriately to your team or accept feedback from your team because mm -hmm. sometimes you're the problem. <sighs> you know, nobody likes to think that, but most of the time it, it is dysfunction on the practice owner's part. And it's not because they intentionally do it. It's because they're uneducated about how to do it right. And they're not giving appropriate feedback and they're not listening well. And there's so many situations in practice where you've got to go to a staff member who is not working up to par and giving them feedback. And a lot of times we do it in, a, in an accusatory manner. And going back to our brain science, when you accuse people, they shut down and they don't listen. Instead of openly asking questions and being curious about the problem that they have and why they're struggling to do this and perform this task, and then coming up with solutions together to, to solve the problem. So curious instead of furious is my um, mantra. I've personally read Crucial Conversations five times. Mm -hmm. So I, I love that book. And I was just talking with someone about it the other day. Uh, I, was, I was like, man, this is one of the best things you can do, especially when you work with people and have teams. And like, Absolutely. Uh, I think some of the biggest things that I ever pulled out of it too, is like being able to approach things, not at, at a specific person, but at what the overall arcing issue is or problem. And it's like, it looks, it seems, or it feels and using those to start in the conversations, like I use those all the time, Right, um, but it's awesome. Well, cool. Uh, I'm going to make sure that I include information for Debbie in the description. So if you want to contact or reach out, want to set up an exploratory conversation with her, uh, definitely make sure to go take a look because she can, you know, she's got a lot of experience and I think she can be very helpful. And let, one other question I do have for you, Debbie, Okay. not related to veterinary at all. All right. If you had a superpower. What would it be? Ooh, if I had a superpower, I think I would like to be invisible. All right. Because then I could <laughs> actually see what people were doing 
without them knowing I was there and they, because they act right. So they, they you, if you know, you're being watched yeah. uh, and monitored, people act in a certain way, but if you were invisible in the fly on the wall, people would be their real selves. And then you could actually coach them a little bit better, a little more accurately because they're not being deceptive or putting on a show for you. Okay. I love it. If, if I were had a, had a power, I would want to be able to teleport. Ah. I like it. Like, um, what is it? Uh, Dr. Strange. Okay. Uh, we can kind of like bend time and you can go and like, that's cool. I like yeah, that. I go back to the past and yeah. yeah. Yeah, That'd be neat. That'd be fun. <laughs> well, I appreciate you coming on here and sharing some of your insights and some of your thoughts. Thanks again for joining me here today, Debbie. You're quite welcome. Thanks for the invitation. Absolutely. Well, again, everyone who was listening today, uh, who is listening to this podcast right now, if you want to get in contact with Debbie, make sure to check the description. Definitely encourage you to talk to her if you are looking to take a second look at your practice. And at the same time, if you've not watched our five-part video series, go take a look. It's on our website. And we got a lot of other race CEs and stuff too, if you want to go take a look at it. But for now, I wish you guys a lot of success. This is Tom Seco. Hope you have a great day. Don't forget to visit our website and sign up for our newsletter. By subscribing, you'll be the first to know about upcoming race approved CE webinars, podcast releases, short presentations, and articles that we publish. Make sure to like us on Facebook, follow us on LinkedIn, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. CJ Burnett and Tom Seco are registered representatives and financial advisors of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, and financial representatives of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, New York, New York. CJ Burnett's and Tom Seco's California licenses are 0K79676 and 0K80141, respectively. Security products and advisory services are offered through Park Avenue Securities, LLC, a registered broker-dealer, investment advisor, member of FINRA and the SIPC, and a wholly-owned subsidiary of Guardian. Florida Veneer Advisors is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Park Avenue Securities or Guardian. This podcast is for information purpose only. Only guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by Park Avenue Securities, Guardian, or Florida Veterinary Advisors, and opinions stated are their own. 2021-121-697 expires June 2023.